I've been telling you for a long time that SaveWithConrad.com can save you money, but don't take my word for it. Jeremy, which one of the podcasts is your favorite one? Uh, my favorite one is probably uh, What Happened When with Tony. Uh, what made you go to Save with Conrad um, in the first place? What was your goal? Uh, save a little bit of money, condense some of my debt. Instead of paying three different monthly payments on some things, now I'm only doing one monthly payment, and it's actually less. Out of this whole process, do you remember how much money you were able to save? I'm probably paying about $200, $250 less a month. Being able to have that 250 in your pocket or 200 in your pocket at the end of the month is is a huge deal. Big help, big help. Would you recommend us to anybody, like a friend or a family member? Uh, definitely. So what are you waiting for? Find out how much money you can save right now for free. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. Even credit scores in the 500s can be approved. And if we can't save you money, we won't waste your time. But because we're licensed in more than 40 states, we can help more families than ever before. Find out how much money you can save right now for free at SaveWithConrad.com. Oh, and did I mention you could skip your next two house payments? Hurry to SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lenders. Woo! Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Arn with the founder of the Four Horsemen, the Hall of Famer himself, Double A, the Enforcer, Arn Anderson. Arn, how are you, man? I'm still hanging in there. The family has not thrown me out of the house yet, thank God. We're still getting along great, and uh, the wife and I are watching Dexter. That's our fix in the evenings, and uh, life is good. I'm very blessed and thankful uh, to be in the good shape that we're in right now. No no virus anywhere around. We're observing all the rules, and and hopefully it will continue to stay that way. Well, that's great news. We, uh, we're happy to have some of this stuff maybe on the downslope, or so we hope, knock on wood, and hope that everybody is, uh, is safe and sound and happy. And today we're going to try to bring a smile to your face with elimination chamber 2015 Arn, for whatever reason, people are really digging that you and I have a chance to talk more modern WWE. Of course, with my other shows, we're usually talking about stuff from the eighties, nineties, or early two thousands. So to talk about something from just five years ago, is probably uh, a quite the change of pace as a listener, but. I got to be honest, it's uh, it's a little different for us, too, to go from talking about Tully Blanchard and the Midnight Express, and then the next week we're talking about Dolph Ziggler and Bo Dallas. It's a little different. Yeah, because the business has changed, and it didn't take long for it to change. It's went through a lot of transitions, and uh, just this match alone is different than anything that's happened in the past. So a lot of uniqueness in the business today. We're talking, of course, about Elimination Chamber, and we'll talk about that match a little later. This pay-per-view actually went down on May 31st, 2015. So this past Sunday was the five-year anniversary. It's uh, the American Airlines, I'm sorry, American Bank Center in Corpus Christi, Texas. Uh, What's your favorite Corpus Christi memory? Do you have any from all your travels there over the years? 
Uh, probably the match that uh, Cactus Jack hates worse than any match he's ever had. And I've read some stuff that he's in agreement. Uh, we had a show there. I think it was a Clash of the Champions with WCW. And uh, they had Cactus with the mass man, Mil Mascaris. Oh, yeah. You remember that stinkeroo? I remember not only the bad match, but the horrific bump that cactus took in the middle of that thing. Woof. Yeah, it was terrible. And the, the problem with having that big bump that would have killed me or most of the rest of the crew hats off to cactus for just being a tough SOB. Um, it was the indoor record for arm drags. The indoor part of that is the best dig of all. That's tremendous. I'm stealing that line. It's absolutely accurate. There had to be, not kidding, probably 12 arm drags. And it was just time after time. And you could tell that the cactus was just going with the flow. You know, we were in an area where Mel Mascaris was over, obviously. But it just got to be so repetitious. I thought they were ribbing the boys. And it was just, I guess, some way in Mil Mascara's mind, it was a way to dominate the match. Pain-free, bump-free, effort-free. And uh, before Cactus took that god-awful bump, it just, it was a rib. Yeah, it was, it was not great. Well, listen, let's talk about happier times. Let's talk about this particular show, but first let's sort of set the stage with some behind the scenes news and notes. Uh, there's a, a bit of a tease going on between a, a podcast and, um, you know, sometimes this is one of those, what if type scenarios or so it feels like, but right after raw, you guys had a live stone cold, Steve Austin podcast and Paul Heyman was the guest. And towards the end of the interview, they start to tease a Brock Lesnar, Steve Austin death match at next year's WrestleMania. Of course, we know it didn't happen, but as far as you know, was it ever seriously discussed or is this just something to get a little buzz for the podcast? Was it discussed a, a stone cold return? Well, not in the forum that I would have been in like a production meeting. Did uh, Austin have his podcast at that time? Yes, he did. Is there a chat? Didn't I read somewhere where those guys went to dinner or something and just as friends and, and had a casual conversation? How would it be to work together? Maybe at mania. Did I read that somewhere? There was something outside of the ring. I don't know if it was like, um, uh, a chat at a cocktail party that maybe had some physicality or, or maybe there was a dinner between the two, but it feels as if at the end of that podcast, Hey, wait a minute. Maybe that was the tease of an angle, especially since it's on the WWE network and not just through podcast one and all your traditional podcast sort of channels. I couldn't say yay or nay, but it's not unusual to promote something that big, that far out just to get people talking about it and right. see what kind of, you know, uh, reaction you get might be a telltale of whether you do it or not. Maybe. Let's, uh, let's talk about somebody who is going to be coming in. It's Samoa Joe. He's 36 years old, five years ago. And when ring of honor announces that they've got a deal to go to destination America. So now they officially have TV. 
WWE decides, hey, maybe we want to change his contract. The concept being at the time he had a deal like Rhino had where he would still work NXT, but he was allowed to go out and book other independent dates. Well, now they want to lock him up and it looks like he's going to be uh, off all of the NXT shows and moving up to the main roster or perhaps at least just full time with the company. But along the way, something bad happens. Joe appears at the January, or I'm sorry, the June 1st raw, the day after this elimination chamber in San Antonio, and he wrestles Tyson kid. Joe's finisher is a move called the muscle buster. And this is not a show that's actually on raw. I believe it's probably being taped for superstars, but unfortunately kid is pretty severely injured. And according to one WWE performer at the time, believed to suffer a spinal cord injury. And this is going to be the end of Tyson kids in ring career and just a horrible accident. This is a finishing move maneuver. We'd all seen a lot. If you had been keeping up with Samoa Joe's career before he got to WWE, but on this particular night, disaster struck, you were there Arn. what do you remember about our pal Tyson getting hurt pretty significantly here? Well, not only am I a friend and a fan of Tyson's, I'm a friend and a fan of Natty. Mm -hmm. And the word we got was that uh, it was a dark match, number one, before the show started. And Vince wanted to see, you know, know, Joe work. And he had had heard all about him. And uh, so they put together something really quick. And they had TJ get on his boots real quick. But I don't think he had time to really warm up and the guys didn't have a chance to talk. It was really a quick, maybe a five minute deal. Bang, bang, bang. And something accidental happened. Not to say that any, anything one way or the other caused it. It was an accident. Right. There's no other way to, to put it. Accidents happen in our business and a guy that, you know, I'm a fan of TJ that day his career was taken away in that capacity as far as a talent. And it was just a, just one of those mistakes that happened. A guy lands wrong and he's changed forever. Uh, necks were not made for this business. And uh, your neck controls so many other bodily functions. Your, it can run down your leg. It can run down your arm. It can cause your bicep to to disappear, your rear delt to disappear. I mean, it's when you tear your neck up, it's got ramifications all over your body. And that's what happened that night. And, uh, it was a loss to the wrestling business for damn sure. Yeah. He's still, uh, doing his thing though. You should go follow him on Twitter at TJ Wilson. Uh, he started a, uh, a new company called workhouse fitness products, and you can check it out at workhousefitnessproducts.com. friend of the show. Uh, one of the best and man, his career cut way, way too short. And it happened just the day after this show. Uh, let's get back to, uh, the chamber though. And let me tell you what Dave wrote. He says the chamber matches in no way compared to chamber matches of the past in the tag team match. It was a combination of most of the teams, not really being over and just too many bodies to where it ended up feeling like a battle Royal that hurt it. The IC title chamber match ended up a mess because things weren't scheduled to happen. The impression I have is that Seamus was originally booked to win, but it was changed late to Ryback. We'll get into the, the booking change perhaps, or whatever happened there later, but this concept of the elimination chamber, 
feels like I heard Cornette years ago say, well, sometimes you have a match that needs a stadium. Other times you have a stadium that needs a match. And this feels like, Hey, we got a gimmick that needs uh, components, not components that need a gimmick. And so the elimination chamber, the first time in the first few, they feel planned and special, but here, and I think maybe this is the, the pitfall of having a show just named elimination chamber on the calendar. You sort of find yourself forcing this match to happen. Well, what if these guys are in it? Not man, we've got something so white hot. This is the only answer. What's your take on that? You just pretty much laid out the key to booking. When you have a match like that, and trust me, there is no soft spot to land. It is a dangerous, dangerous setting. Um, no place soft to land. There's a, it's very unforgiving. But in the past, and I'll just start here, when you had one of those matches and you had all top, top guys that had angles going into it, now you had a setting, you had a story, and you had something that I want to buy. But the minute you started adding a second one to the same show, there's only so many things you can do inside that apparatus. And that's it. I mean, it, it's the same setup. It's the same, uh, like I said, it's the same apparatus. And you can only do so many things in there. When you have more than one of those, one's going to take away from the other, or they're both going to take away from each other. And uh, you don't just use that match as a gimmick to just put a bunch of guys in there that have no story, have no heat, have no reason for being in that particular match. It's like a uh, one of my favorite matches, thank God I was never in one, was like a TLC match. Mm. Well, when you headlined a pay-per-view and that was the match with the TLC being in a very, very prominent place, it was special. But then if you put a second one, you're seeing some of the same stuff from earlier to later in the show. Same thing with this match. And they just, it, it looked from my memory, they just put a bunch of guys in these two matches on this particular show thinking that the, the, uh, the cage would sell it and it, it can't be that it's got to be your stories have to sell it. And you know, those guys are all trapped in there and there's going to be some justice for some. It's going to be some bad situations occur for other guys. And it's very dangerous. Somebody may get hurt or a bunch of somebody's may get hurt. Now it becomes interesting, but just throwing a bunch of names in there is not the right way to go. I don't think. And they found out that they diminished what that meant you used to get a gasp when you said I'm going to take on so-and-so in the elimination chamber. It was like hell in the cell. It was like, Whoa, geez, not so much. I think is it, as you overexposed it. Yeah. I hate to be that way, but it does feel like, you know, this shouldn't just be a calendar event. Like, well, it's April must be WrestleMania or Hey man, it's August. Here comes SummerSlam. That shouldn't be the thing for a gim a type of gimmick match. That should be sort of the blow off or the payoff. And I think, you know, WCW sort of proved that with war games. You look back at the original war games and 
man, it was just a barn burner. And anytime me and you talk about it, you're like, oh, that was my favorite one. And gosh, nobody was in more or started more war games matches than you did over the years. But along the way, some of those war games, when it became a staple of fall brawl, it started to feel just a little more, well, it's September. Let's bring out the double cage, right? Yeah. And that's not right. It should never be that way. It, um, Specific matches, you know, used to be a cage match, was payday for the good guy. You had a guy trapped, couldn't get away, all the abusive things that happened to him, it was going to be payday that night. And it was, and it paid off. You know, and if you if you had a street fight, you know, you meant it was going to be out in the crowd, it was going to be all over the building, and it was just going to be wild. You know, certain matches meant certain things. And then when you had bigger-than-life personalities step into those roles in those match, knowing what was possible, things got real interesting. You know, Arn, as the enforcer of the Four Horsemen, if there's one thing you know about, it's pain. And I've read a lot about the relief that CBD offers from the extreme aches and pains. But what if there was something better than CBD? Well, I found it. It's called Leafa, and it's a brand new relief cream that works on contact, and you don't need a prescription for it. Leafa contains over 3,000 milligrams of CBD and beta cariofiline, plus, it has menthol. For those that don't know, beta cariofiline is another phytocompound like CBD, but instead of just reacting to receptors in the body, beta cariofiline binds to them, making it more powerful than just CBD alone. Leafa is the only formula on the market that contains these ingredients and they combine for a more fast acting targeted relief on contact. By the way, it feels really great. With social distancing and sheltering in place, I've been trying to keep a little more active at home, but I'm not really that motivated because I'm tired and achy. I get really stiff and sore and I need some relief. I applied the Leafa to my joints, especially my left knee, and man, it felt really great. It absorbed fast and left no greasy residue. Leafa made my left knee feel so much better on contact. It smells great too. It's not like a bad medicine smell, but don't take my word for it. Try it for yourself. Experience Leafa's relief. It's a free $60 value during Leafa's nationwide free trial. Now, all you've got to do is pay the shipping. To get your free Leafa, just go to yourleafasupply.com. That's yourleafasupply.com for your free trial. Let me spell it for you. That's Y-O-U-R-L-E-F-A-S-U-P-P-L-Y.com, yourleafasupply.com. And we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. Let's also draw the parallel since I, I mentioned war games. Do you think Elimination Chamber is sort of the WWE version of war games? And I know it's not a double case, but hear me out. It is this big demonic structure that's sort of unique to the promotion there are uh, sort of intervals between different guys getting into the match. I know it's uh, not necessarily teams and it's every man for himself. And that certainly changes the dynamic, but it felt like for a long time, once WCW went down, fans were clamoring, bring back war games. And it wasn't until a couple of years ago that NXT decided to dust off the name. Even if the format was a little different, there wasn't a top on the cage and things like that. Do you think the elimination chamber is sort of the wwe's answer to the the old school war games look well yeah i mean it's hard to come up with something brand new i think they took some concepts 
for more games and, and plugged them in and, and tweaked the way you use them. Um, one thing was for sure, you know, what you could get out of this particular match is whoever the guy started, if he ran the table to the end, you had a new star. If he wasn't the established top, top star, right? you could, you know, and so you had that opportunity and there was, you know, some drama of when that countdown went down and the lights were flashing above each pod and that pod would open it, you know, that was cool. It was one of those things of who's it going to be, who's it going to, ah, there it is. Boom. And the fact that you could crash through those things, if you were a Ryback or, you know, some, a monster, you know, whoever it was and crash into one of those things and bust them open and to pull a guy out if it was the wrong time. I mean, there was, there was possibilities in that, in that cage that you could make for a really cool match. Let's get to the uh, actual show itself. Meltzer would write in the observer that, um, this is a unique atmosphere, a pay-per-view feel of a show being held in front of something approximating a house show audience. Most of the sold out crowd of 7,000 fans at the American bank center in Corpus Christi had purchased tickets thinking it was a house show. So instead of adults ringside, much of the arena was filled with kids. And while it wasn't a 90% plus pro Cena local market house show crowd, it was closer to that than the usual adult male pay-per-view that buys tickets early travels in and reacts differently. What do you think of the decision to sort of rush this show to be a pay-per-view? It was only put together two weeks ahead of time. And, uh, Meltzer would say this is done in an effort to keep people from canceling their WWE network subscriptions that would run out an hour after the show ended. So if you got some sort of free like trial, and you signed up for WrestleMania, they want to make sure that you're going to hang with it and get this pay-per-view too. So you'll keep that subscription going. So you sort of turn a house show into a pay-per-view. I don't think this has ever happened before. Do you recall there ever being a situation where this happened before this? No, because if you're going to have a pay-per-view, don't you want to have capacity to be available over 7,000 seats? Uh, Yeah. And when you have a sellout, this is my opinion, has always been my opinion, Conrad. When you sell a place out early, a lot of people go, that's awesome. Oh, that's great. Okay, you're a week out and you're sold out. I look at it as being lost revenue forever. Yeah. Because you could have doubled that to 15000 if you'd have had the capacity if you sold it out a week in advance, because notoriously, a lot of people that buy pay-per-view, that's a deal where you wake up Sunday morning and you go, your buddy calls you and says, hey, you want to go play pool or play golf or something? And you go, no, hey, there's a pay-per-view on tonight. You want to come over and I'll call a couple of the buddies and let's, let's buy that thing and here we go. It's impulse buying, right. I think. And you can get a huge walk up the day of the show once they see, they being the audience, that you are in town and they see the trucks with all the pictures of the talent on it. They say, well, hey, they're here. This thing's going down. Let's get a ticket. And... uh I think you probably damaged the, that brand a little bit by just hot-shotting it and throwing a bunch of names in there that have no story. Mm-hmm. And you know who suffers? The audience suffers and the talent because you're in this, this cage that's supposed to be so violent, but you don't have a beef with anybody. 
and it feels crazy that you go over the top to try to get violent with some guy in some apparatus that you have absolutely no angle with. I think you just water that, that thing down. I like your analogy too. I hadn't really heard that before in regards to promoting wrestling, but if it is an almost immediate sellout, you needed a bigger arena. You know, you didn't, you didn't run it all the way up. And the closest parallel I can come to that with is I see in my business, sometimes realtors bragging about, Hey, this house sold in six hours. Well, what I hear is, well, they underpriced the house. Like you left money on the table because if, if there's a feeding frenzy at that price, you probably could have got a little more. This is sort of the same concept with selling out arenas, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, I would rather have a 15,000 capacity and have 1000 seats or 2000 seats up in the very, very top that didn't sell because with the ability on lighting and production and all those things, being able to almost black that completely out like it doesn't exist. That's if you don't do that and you, you had that sell out early a week later, I mean, that's revenue lost forever. You'll never go back and get it. It's gone. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's the same thing as in your business. Let's get to the matches. The, uh, the opening match, the pre-show match is stardust pinning Zack Ryder and just under six minutes Meltzer would write when they announced stardust as coming from the fifth dimension, they started talking about the song, the age of Aquarius. Didn't I just write something like that? Stardust went wins with crossroads in a solidly worked match two and a quarter stars. Of course, for, fast forward five years, uh, Cody is one of the uh, centerpieces on AEW on Wednesday. And Zack Ryder finds himself just recently released. This is, uh, two great friends outside of the ring and, uh, their 2020 and beyond is going to look a lot different than their 2015 did. You and I haven't spent a ton of time talking about Zack Ryder. What'd you think of Zack? I love Zack. Who wouldn't love Zack? He's the maintenance free employee. Number one, he looks great. He can do some very good stuff. He's a completely total uh, great guy as a human being and as an employee he's maintenance free whatever you want tell him one time he's got it he's good to go and him and Cody are very good friends you know what a difference five years makes you said it I mean you know that's something we shouldn't really skip over because this business you're told hey go get over and anything's possible the key is, just like Dusty told me first time I walked in Crockett's office, had those feet and those cowboy boots up on the desk. He looked at me, and I'm expecting some big rah-rah speech, or I don't know what I was expecting. He looked at me, and he just said, go get over. And I looked at him, and I was waiting on part two. And he looked at me and said, that's it. I got my ass up and got out of there and went and got over. (laughs) So Cody did the same thing. He bet on himself. And uh, I still say, because I was there with it, Cody put everything he could into that Stardust gimmick, and it looked great, looked great on him, but that's not who he was. That's not who he was ever going to be. And just the biggest mistake I would tell any young guy in this business is a guy playing a character. 
I'm not sure I give you a whole lot of hope. But if you were you being you and the more abbreviated that you take you down, the worse it is. You got to take the real you and accentuate it, make it a little bit louder, a little more colorful, a little more intelligent. But be you be because it's hard to screw up being you. Right. And, you know, and uh, that would be my advice. And that's who Cody wanted to be. He wanted to be himself. And even though he gave it 120 percent, he still wanted to be Cody. And he is Cody. And look at the heights he's achieved. Yeah. And I have a suspicion that uh, we're not done. So let's get to the next segment. On the show, it's Miz TV with Daniel Bryan. Uh, Miz has Summer Ray with him. Uh, the backstory here being Summer Ray turned on Damian Mizdow. Now, uh, Miz and Mizdow are broken up. So, uh, she's with Miz. We haven't spent a ton of time talking about Summer Ray. She's no longer with the company. She seemed like a model employee. Why don't you think it worked out with her in WWE long term? Well, she was, you know, and, and again, I don't remember her ever questioning anything. Um, everybody can't do this. You know, you can be a great athlete or you can be a world-class dancer or cheerleader or baseball player or football player or anything, or even a gymnast. That doesn't mean you can do what we do. Um, and I think that uh, she had a really bad injury to her back, I believe it was, which was probably worse than anybody knew. And she never really got started and got rolling. Um, you know, they tried a couple of things with her, but I think the injury, you know, when you have something that serious, I think she was out a year or so. It kind of makes you question, is this the right thing for me to do? And, uh, I didn't really know her that well um, because Fit took all the ladies' matches, but uh, I don't remember him or anybody saying, hey, she's a pain in the ass. I guess she did her very best. Shit. Son of a bitch. These are the noises I used to make when I cut myself shaving before I knew about Manscaped.com. Thank you, Manscaped, for turning my loud shrieks into multiple peaks. Here's the thing, guys. We've all had a little situation before. Maybe we were even a little embarrassed about, but now those cuts and nicks are a thing of the past. Thanks to the lawnmower 3.0. And here's the deal. You've heard us talking about manscaped for a long time, but their team has spent 18 months perfecting the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created. We're talking about the new and improved lawnmower 3.0. The battery lasts up to 90 minutes to give you a longer shave. You've even got an led light, which is going to help you illuminate the shaving area. They also has, and check this out, a rapid charging dock powered by USB. This is premium. And when I say premium, I mean it. This thing's changing the lives of our listeners in ways that are too explicit to explain. But let me just tell you that uh, your dick, your balls, and your partner will thank you. So you need to try it for yourself. You get 20% off plus free shipping when you use the promo code ARN at manscaped.com. Now, let me just speak candidly. I don't know what causes them to want to do something special for you, but I know what hurts it. And this helps it. Every action moves you a little closer or a little further away from the goal. And if your goal is to, uh, roll tide, you gotta go do this. Go to manscaped.com, get 20% off and free shipping. When you use the promo code ARN at manscaped.com, that's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Just use the promo code ARN 
I'm telling you, your partner will thank you. But really, it's not for them. It's for you. You know what I'm talking about. Miz does a really good job on this segment here. And it feels like he and Daniel Bryan during this era where Daniel isn't wrestling and had to retire. Uh, they're really doing some magic together. And the reason Daniel Bryan is booked here is to promote his new book. And of course, Miz can't help himself, but point out that, Hey, most of the time when a wrestler writes a book, it's because his career is over. Uh, and of course they get fired up again and out comes macho Mandow, him and Axel mania do a run in here. We've talked a little bit about that gimmick since you and I discussed that tag team and the pairing as you know, the Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage spoofs. Unfortunately, we've learned that, uh, he's no longer with the company. Of course, you know, I'm not talking about Sandow. We know that he's now with the NWA, but, um, Curtis Axel no longer with WWE. I think that probably took a lot of people by surprise considering his legacy and what Mr. Perfect meant to the organization. Were you surprised when you saw that Curtis Axel was no Moss? No, because Curtis Axel isn't Joe Henning. Right. That's who he should have been day one. And I've said this, there are guys that have a legacy in this business, you know, Ted DiBiase, Ted DiBiase Jr. Uh, Bob Orton, Randy Orton, Bob Orton's father, you know, you got Joe Henning, who was third generation. Mr. Perfect was, he very was one of the best workers I've ever seen. The most creative, the most athletic. He was just, he was everything. He had it all. And Andy could talk and he believed in himself. He was that guy. He was Mr. Perfect. All they would have had to do to help Joe along was just from day one, let him be Joe Henning. And they're going to tell you that uh, they were protecting him because nobody can be what Mr. Perfect was. And it just him being his son would damage him and hold him back. I don't believe that. When you've got a father that is that renowned in this business and has the respect of the boys like he did, to find out that his kid is actually really good. And Joe was a really good worker. And uh, just let him be who he is. And, you know, he will go as far as he was supposed to go anyway. God had a plan for him, so he was going to get over whatever degree that was. But at least give him a chance. Don't call him something that's a total disconnect. There's just no reason in it. Help me understand what, I mean, I know that you're going to say, well, hell, how do I know? But if you had to guess, what do you think is the differentiating factor between calling her, you know, Charlotte Flair or Cody Rhodes, or, I mean, both of these guys have, have really big shoes to fill and yet they don't have that same opinion of Mr. Perfect. I don't know. Like how was Flair not as big of a name? As Mr. Perfect, how is Cody Rhodes as not as or Dusty Rhodes not as big of a name as Mr. Perfect? But yet those guys use their last name. I don't know. It's it feels weird. Well, there's no one set rules, right? Some guys, some guys are allowed to, for whatever reason. Some guys are not for whatever reason. I don't know. It should be across the board, and you know, the business has to be replenished every five to 10 years with a new group of young talent. If you don't have that talent 
resurgence every five to ten years with injuries being what they are, some guys just bombing and not making it, uh, you're going to have a, a diminishing talent pool. But if you keep these third-generation and second-generation talent coming along that uh, that are really good, doesn't it look good for the business that these guys are following in their dad's footsteps? And as long as they have their own style and they just don't deliberately rip off all the things that the dad does, you may do one or two or three things that are signature that – when you see it, you go, oh, Kurt used to do that. And, hey, the kid did it good, too. That makes me feel good about it. Right. Uh, that should be the way this business is. And you have, if I was on, if I owned the company and I have this, you know, what about Bray Watt? Right. Taylor Rotundo. Tremendous performers coming after another tremendous performer, Mike Rotundo. I mean, it's Bray Watt in no way is looked at as just Mike Rotundo's kid. They're so different. He has now he's, you know, reinvented himself again. But Bray Wyatt was a whole separate cat. But it didn't bother me knowing who his dad was from time to time. Reliving history. Right. No, I think that's what we like to do. I mean, clearly the folks who listen to this podcast, I mean, they're li they're listening to nostalgia right now. And that's what wrestling fans want. I think we respect the history of the sport a lot more than. Uh, maybe some others do let's keep it going here. Let's talk about, uh, a little tease that we would see on this show. Meltzer would write and something done to be a tease that were really pushing Roman Reigns and Dean Ambrose as best friends, almost too much. Reigns said he'd be buying the beer in the ice for the post-show celebration. And you almost get the idea that Reigns would be turning on Ambrose, but it didn't happen here. And we know ultimately it's not going to happen. Uh, he's not really ever going to become the quote unquote bad guy. They try it briefly with Dean Ambrose, but it's later than right here. Talk to me a little bit about, you know, just the paint by numbers formula of wrestling. When two tag team partners, all of a sudden start landing on real thick that they're best friends. That's usually a sign that, well, we're about to see some action, right? Yeah. I think it's probably just a tease because you know, the things that really get over in our business that make you go, Hey, wait a minute. Did you hear that? are the subtleties, mm -hmm. the subtle things. And, you know, the Shield were one of the best groups to have came along ever. And you can really break it down over the last 10, 12 years, however long they were together and in different combinations. And those guys, when they would get into these heated arguments and bust up for a while, I mean, all the single matches paid, paid huge dividends. Um, but you're right. If, if, if Roman's leaning too hard on, Hey, you're my buddy or my buddy or my buddy, it's almost like here it comes. And maybe that was the idea to, to throw that out there with the, the fan base going, okay, we've wanted Roman to be a heel here. It comes and just kind of test it a little bit. That's not out of the realm of believability. I don't think. No, I don't think so either. Let's get to the first of, uh, two elimination chambers. This is the first match on the actual pay-per-view off the pre-show. It's uh new day retaining the tag titles in an elimination match over Tyson Kidd and Cesaro. This would be Tyson's next to last match here. Uh, the Ascension, the Lucha dragons, the primetime players and Los Matadores. 
I get plenty of time here. 24 minutes and 24 seconds. Meltzer would say good most of the way, but lost steam by the end. The reason the primetime players are getting the big tag team push is because O'Neill won that father of the year award a few weeks ago. So this was his reward for giving the company good publicity. What do you make of that comment from Dave Meltzer? Well, there's a time and a place to promote father of the year. And Hey, I commend him for that. You know, if, if he's dad of the year, which he was, that's a, that's a hell of an honor, which means he's doing a lot of good things in life. I'm not sure that that should be the vehicle and the reasoning why you push a guy in a pay-per-view match, but that's just me. Um, I know that you got a lot of names in this particular match, and this thing is going to get very crowded once it starts. Uh, but I don't think you use a guy based on that. Surely to God, if they're not going to move him up the ladder, then why use him that well when some other team could use that push? You could bring him out on Raw, have the boss come out, congratulate him for being father of the year. Now it had a single spotlight. Maybe it, that's more what it deserved. The other uh, folks participating in this match, we've talked about a little bit. Uh, we've talked about the Ascension. We've talked about Tyson Kidd and Cesaro. Of course, we've talked about New Day, but we haven't spent a lot of time talking about Darren Young. Uh, Darren Young made headlines becoming the first sort of uh, openly homosexual performer in WWE, and it became uh, a real focus online, but it doesn't feel like they really ever got behind that on television. Why do you think that is? Do you think that, um, I don't know. It's hard. It's hard for me to articulate why something would be so popular online. And then it doesn't feel like it's even almost ever addressed on TV, especially when there is, um, uh, I don't know, an opportunity for WWE to, uh, to do the, I don't know the right PR thing. It feels like WWE over the years has looked for opportunities, whether it's be a star or Connor's cure. They've looked for ways to sort of, um, have a message to the audience and it doesn't feel like they did much with Darren young. Why do you think that is? Oh, I don't know. You know, for me, since I started in the business, this is the way I viewed everything. We are a melting pot of everything imaginable, every race, color, creed, you know, what someone does, male or female, once they close their bedroom door, that's their business. Right. Period. And they are entitled to the same shot at this business, no matter who they are. And, you know, color, creed, religion, doesn't matter. They are all entitled to a shot, to the same crack at making it in this business as anybody else. So, you know, I never saw it made an issue. Right. And, and, you know, this is, remember now, this is the old days growing up. All guys cared about is if you could work, if you could draw money, if you were safe, that's all that matters. And we were like one family, and that's the way it should be. Should be that way today. Shouldn't have any bearing on anything. So why it wasn't pushed stronger, I have no idea. It, it just feels like something WWE would, would jump all over, and then they didn't, and I'm glad you pointed out because I don't think that gets talked about a lot, but there's been a ton of, of, uh, maybe not to the public, but sort of openly quote unquote out to the boys. It, w it wasn't exactly a secret that Pat Patterson or 
I mean, he's been probably the most open about it because he wrote a book about it, but still it doesn't feel like wrestling has ever shunned away from that. Or do I have that wrong? It's always felt like what you said that, Hey, uh, if you've got an attraction that can draw money and you can work and you're safe, come on in. Certainly all I cared about. And that's all I care about today. It's, you know, how can you fit in? Do you belong? Did you earn a way in this business? You know, not what you do when your bedroom door closes should be inconsequential. Man, you think I love talking old wrestling? Well, the only thing I love more than that is helping people save money. But now, thanks to SaveWithConrad.com and this podcast, I can help my fellow wrestling fans save some cash, and we get to talk old wrestling along the way. Just ask Mr. Myers. He just left us a five-star review right there in Cincinnati, Ohio. Well, he heard us talking about it here on the show, gave us a shot over at SaveWithConrad.com. Then he gave us this five-star review. Everything went well and was done ahead of schedule to make an easy purchase. Well, my man, it sounds like congratulations are in order. Congratulations on your new house. Thanks for listening to the podcast, and thanks for checking out SaveWithConrad.com. Let's keep the good news going over to Wisconsin, where Mr. Hansen writes, I couldn't have asked for a better experience than the one we had working with Jimmy. He made what could have been a stressful process incredibly easy. He answered all of our questions immediately, and he got us a fantastic deal. I cannot recommend refinancing through First Family Mortgage enough. Save with Conrad to the rescue, sounds like, boys and girls. Another five-star review. Thank you very much for that, Tim. We also want to keep this good news train going. How about Utica, Mississippi? Friend of the show, Super Dave, writes, Conrad went out of his way to save me money. Congratulations, Super Dave. I saw you write on Twitter that you're going to save more than $100,000 thanks to SaveWithConrad.com. Can't thank you enough for your faith and confidence. What about up in DeSoto, Missouri? Ellen would write, everyone involved in the transaction from start to finish was very helpful. Every question I had was answered five stars. And when it came to her likelihood of referring us in the future, on a scale of one to 10, she gave us a 10. Uh, And so did uh, Mr. Christopher over in Missouri. He was writing, we were able to knock seven years off of our loan. Jimmy made everything easy. Five stars. Man, there's good news coast to coast at SaveWithConrad.com. And there can be great news for you right now if you go get a quick quote. You see, you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. And whether you're stuck in an apartment and feel like you're a part of that lease life forever, do what some of our listeners are doing and make a decision to get out of that apartment today. Don't believe what you're seeing on TV. You don't have to put 20% down and have an 800 credit score. We're routinely helping our podcast listeners get out of their apartments and into new homes. And they're doing it with little to no money out of pocket. And oh, by the way, all the way down to credit scores in the 500s. But here is some perhaps even better news. If you're a homeowner right now, what about a little summer vacation from house payments? You won't have to make your June or your July payment. You're done until August 1st. And come August 1st, you're going to have a better mortgage. We're going to show you how to take advantage of these once-in-a-lifetime rates and use it to almost hit the reset button on your financial outlook. We want to help you get rid of all your credit card debt just like that. You know the interest is outrageous. It's eating you alive. Let's get a fresh start. Let's knock it out, show you how to skip a couple of house payments, maybe take the family on a vacation. But come August, man, we're going to get serious about getting out of debt. We're going to cut years off of your loan. We have routinely helped our listeners say five, six, seven, eight hundred bucks a month. But in the process, we also show them how to pay their house off faster. You heard Super Dave, even saving more than a hundred thousand dollars. Find out how much money you can save right now for free. You don't need perfect credit. You don't need money out of your pocket. 
And man, if I can't help you save some money, I won't waste your time. Seriously, check it out. Savewithconrad.com. The reviews are in and it's five stars, baby. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. Oh, and I should mention there's more than one way to get a hold of us. You can even talk to a live person. Just click the live chat button in the bottom right hand corner at savewithconrad.com. Or if you're old school like me, man, just give us a call and we'll even pick up the tab. It's toll free at 888-425-0105 or shoot me an email. It's conrad at savewithconrad.com. But if you do send me an email, be sure to include your name, especially if you have a gimmick email and your phone number. And uh, I'll hit you up, man. Let's save some money at savewithconrad.com. Of course, as we said, New Day is going to retain here. Uh, the finish with see Big E give to, uh, O'Neal a chop block and all three members of New Day jump on him for the pin. Three and a quarter stars. You watched this match for the first time in five years. What would you think? Well, I, I think that I have a lot of friends in there and a lot of guys that were working hard that are good workers that just didn't have a story or have a reason to be in that match. I was so happy that they were from this aspect that they were going to be spotlighted somewhat and they would get to show everyone what they were capable of. And, uh, I mean, you got some really good workers in that match and they all work together. But when you have that many people, number one, I would have made that the only match, the only elimination chamber of that match. So you didn't have anything to compare it to in the single match. Does that make sense? Yes. The one later, because you got all those bodies. Now that if you put a lot of creativity into it, like those guys did, and they did a lot of dives off the top of it and all that stuff, and they made it creative, but it can also get, when you have that many bodies in there, it can also get too full and things get a little clumsy and it looks like you're running spots just to be running spots. And it doesn't matter that the four guys that didn't know you're going to run that spot are in the way. Right. You know, and it has the potential to have too many bodies in there and, and things to get clumsy and things to get bent out of shape and somebody possibly to get hurt. So it should have been the only one of the night. I think probably the right guys went over, even though you know how I feel about Cesaro and TJ. Um, you know, I was just happy to see those guys have a little spotlight. Absolutely. And, uh, you should go out of your way to watch this one because unfortunately this is going to be the last time we get to see, uh, Tyson and Cesaro. It all changes the next day. Uh, let's get to the next match. It's Nikki Bella retaining the divas title in a three-way over Paige and Naomi. Uh, they're announcing that Brie Bella and Ta uh, Tamina Snuka are banned from ringside. And Nikki even takes a bump on the announcer's table here. Uh, they're pulling out all the stops, but Meltzer would say the crowd lost interest. They let out a good match, but the execution wasn't very good. Naomi tried to reverse Hurricane Rana, which is a difficult move to pull off, but it looked bad here on page. Nikki then used the rack attack on Naomi for the pin one star. So it's a three way for the divas title. They don't get a ton of time here. Only five minutes and 12 seconds. Meltzer wasn't really high on it. What'd you think? Well, I mean, I'm a fan of the ladies and the evolution of the ladies and how they've gotten better and just how tough they are. And, you know, every one of those ladies had something to offer that match. But I think with just a short amount of time and probably not a huge buildup, and I don't think the ladies had quite gotten to the point of where they were focused 
like they are now and have been over the last few years, you know, of any given show, but they were each getting better. You know, Paige grew up in the business. Right. She'd been a worker from day one because she grew up in the business. I think Naomi was one of the girls or ladies that I could watch getting a little better all the time. And, you know, Nikki Bella was just, in my mind, I think she was, you know, a natural. I thought she brought it. And But if you don't have a distinct story and something at the end of the rainbow that has been built to for months and months and months, it comes across as just a filler match when that's very disrespectful to look at them like that. But I think maybe the audience maybe took it as a placeholder after the elimination match. Yeah. Unfortunately, we've heard, you know, from, from Bruce Pritchard, I think he calls it a let me up match. You need something to just, uh, you can't keep that fevered pitch, everybody on their feet for the entire three and a half hours. You're going to need something to let people take a break and quote unquote, let me up. And so that's probably where this is positioned because the next match, well, it's incredible. And this is the real reason I wanted to cover this show with you. Besides the Tyson kid Cesaro thing, it's Kevin Owens. He's the NXT champion and he's going to pin the United States champion, John Cena in 20 minutes and 42 seconds. Neither title is on the line, but this is an unbelievable match. Meltzer gave it four and a half stars. They get plenty of time. But this is before Kevin Owens is even on the main roster officially. He's the NXT champion. We're just trying something here. But man, putting him with Cena, there's no bigger way to debut in WWE. And even though over the years, fans could be quite critical of John, uh, they would say that, oh, he has five moves and it's the five moves of doom and it's the same old shit or whatever the knock is. He also had another reputation as quote unquote, big match, John. And boy, big match John was here. This is an outstanding match, but you watched it back this week for the first time in a long time. You had to be proud seeing your boy and Kevin Owens tear it up here. Um, I'm going to punch a small hole in your balloon. Okay. Was it spectacular in the fact that there were some God awful, huge moves during this match, which the fans have grown to accustom. I think Kevin Owens is deceptively strong for a guy, his size and body structure. I mean, deceptively strong. And I got to see that for the first time in this match. Where I think they went south, and I'm glad it was such an awesome viewing experience ultimately for the fans who spent their hard-earned money to get it in this match, did let them know that they were going to go all out for the fans to give them a 18-car car crash. But to have John have Kevin Owens do his own finish to him, kick out of it, but still hit his own move on him and vice versa. Have a pop-up power bomb, which was his finish for the very first time and have seen a kick out. Now, remember, this is the first time we're seeing Kevin Owens. That's right. For them to throw away all these bombs and to, well, you know, you get in that pattern and that habit of 
you hit your finish on me, I'll hit mine on you. Well, if it's your finish, wouldn't you know the counter? Right. Wouldn't you have a way of getting out of that and just the fact that it was an attempt at doing your own finish on you and the other guy counters out of it? That's great storytelling. But ultimately, you know, there was a bump off the top, which was like a, I don't even know how to describe it, but it's like a, Oh gosh, it's a suplex where you're doing a vertical suplex, a brain like a, it was like a brain buster off the top. Right. It stood out as the move of the match. There's no reason that shouldn't have been a finish. There's no reason Kevin shouldn't have been able to pick John up because he doesn't look like he is that strong. No offense, Kevin. I'm just just telling you the things that you perform are are awesome. Um. And for John to kick out of that and to ultimately to put Kevin Owens over is fine. If you're going to listen to the audience throughout this thing, Kevin Owens became a star that night. Yes. This is my humble opinion. If you don't listen, no matter what you got booked or written down for the next three weeks, if you see that, and you see that audience react to that. Don't you switch those plans to, Hey, here's my new baby face. You would think so. They didn't do that. They kept the, the match trilogy going here or the, the, the feud here going with John Cena, but you're exactly right. They don't make Kevin Owens, the baby face star that in the old days would have felt like a no brainer to, and he can just be. Not not to say anything like Steve Austin style, but he's the anti-hero. He's that guy that kicks ass. That does, he's the everyday man that doesn't look like he could go out there and pop up power bomb Mark Henry. Right. Hell, I've seen it more than once. He does some spectacular stuff, but the audience was cheering for him in a way that hey man, we like this dude. Make him a babyface the very next day. Switch gears because to put on that kind of performance, to beat John Cena one, two, three with his finish, there's no bigger launching pad at that particular time than there is. So go with it. Switch gears. Turn him into what they want to see. That that is where I and I, I was, I had that match. I sat in, and I, as they were going through it, I voiced my opinions as I normally did. Those that got shot down, I respectfully said I just wanted to bring it up, and those were some of my concerns during the match. And uh, even I wasn't prepared for how Kevin was going to be received. So, hey, for the audience, it was an awesome deal. I just look at. Today's not a standalone show if we're not thinking about next week and the next week and the next week, because without programming and thinking our way through this, there is no story. And without any story, you're just taking bumps. And if you're just taking bumps, you're beating your body up and nobody gives a crap. Meltzer had some of the same takes you did. He says, uh, Owen used the pop-up power bomb and Cena kicked out given that Cena was losing to that move later. I get the mentality of the spot, but to me in Owen's first match, I'd be strong on protecting his finisher really for months or longer with the idea of creating a big moment when a guy kicks out for the first time. So of course we see that Cena kicks out early, but 
Let's fast forward. Cena would hit the springboard stunner for a near fall. This is the era where Cena is borrowing the stone cold stunner, but doing it off the ropes. And then Owens uses a fisherman buster off the middle rope uh, for a near fall, as well as a swanton for a near fall. And then he finally gets the pin after the pop-up power bomb. Meltzer would write the match finish worked. Very few were expecting Owens to win and even fewer expected it would be clean in the middle with this move. So they made a superstar in one night, which is hilarious because for years, people in the company have claimed it takes 18 months minimum to do so. The crowd was really hot for the match. Cena rolled out of the ring to leave the stage to Owens, uh, who said that now everybody knows who Kevin Owens is. And he tells Cena, he has some veteran advice that it's time for Cena to go because his time is up and my time is now. Cena was praised for how unselfish he was in putting Owens over in the manner where he did with no dispute and then letting Owens make fun of his catchphrase at the end, four and a half stars. Meltzer really dug it. He thinks the same thing you do. Now Kevin Owens is a superstar. What'd you think is having Kevin Owens do some mic work after the match too far or or, or is that fair? Well, if I change directions, if, if, like I said, if I'm that guy sitting in the big seat that makes all the decisions and I just saw go down what I saw go down, I'm sending word out by the ref, no promo. Right. Let it go. We're switching gears. I mean, that was one of those, if, if Dave, you know, if Meltzer and I agree, you know, this closely, there's got to be a little, little validity to it between the two of us, I would think. Sure. But, uh, I mean, I saw what I saw, and I saw a superstar being made, and it was, you know, even though some of the stuff was a little more high impact than, than I would have said, put it all in one match, you know, maybe you could have done half that amount of stuff and still got the same reaction. Uh, still, a star was born that day, and you got to understand it. you got to listen to the audience, and they will always tell you what they want. And most of the time, they're going to be right. All right, guys, as you know, by now, today's episode is sponsored by blue chew. Remember the days when you were always ready to go, Well, now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. So listen up bluechew.com and that's blue. Like the color blue chew is going to bring you the first chewable with the same FDA approved active ingredients as both Viagra and Cialis. You can take them anytime day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they can work up to twice as fast as a pill. So you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. If you could benefit from a little extra confidence where it counts, Blue Chew is the fast and easy way to enhance your performance. In fact, Blue Chew is prescribed online by licensed physicians. So you don't have to go to the doctor's office or wait in line at the pharmacy. And it ships right to your door in a discreet package. They're made in the USA. And since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. And best of all, there's no more awkwardness. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit bluechew.com and get your first shipment for free when you use our promo code ARN. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B L U E C H E W.com, and our promo code is ARN to try it for free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring today's podcast. Next up, we've got Neville pinning Bo Dallas in eight minutes and 53 seconds. Meltzer would say this was put in the usual women's match spot. Good match. Neville did a moonsault off the top rope to the floor and a standing shooting star. 
They tried to tell a story in this match that Neville was the guy who beat Dallas to win the NXT title. So they had a past history, but the crowd never bought that Dallas could win. Neville won with the Enzigiri and red arrow two and three quarter stars. We know Neville is going to grow very frustrated with his positioning in WWE. And eventually they come to an impasse. And now he's with AEW. Uh, Bo Dallas is still hanging around WWE and he's, he's had a few different sort of start and stops. And it felt like after the big push in NXT, he was poised for a big run on the main roster. And for whatever reason, that success has belonged to his brother and it somehow evaded him. What do you think is the, uh, the future of Bo Dallas? Do you think he still got a shot at making it in WWE or is he going to have to take the path? A lot of others have go, uh, sort of reinvent himself and, and then come back in order to get Vince's opinion of him to change. Well, you know, I'm, I'm right now during all this stuff that's going on. I'm glad he still has a job. Of course. I'm, I'm glad for every individual out there that during this, this tragedy that, that has a job I'm happy for him and, uh, he should, he's done nothing but work his ass off and, and he's a good worker. There was, there was a time that I thought that you could very easily make him who he was, Bray Watt's brother and do it in a, a goofy way is, is he's the one that now you would have to give him this character, but, but he's the one that's the handsome guy but he's also the one that's about half nuts and is easily swayed by the crazy older brother, which is Bray Wyatt Mm -hmm. and let him do some really nasty stuff because mechanically he's very good. And with the gimmicks that were given him, you know, he didn't really get a chance to, you know, perform at the level that he's able to, but there was a spot I thought, and there was a point in time I wish I could tell you where it would have been perfect. And you find out later on, you know, who he is and, hey, they're a family, and that would have been a really good spot for him. But I hope he, you know, lands on his feet because he's an excellent performer. And, again, he's a pleasure. I look at him as a friend and uh, friends with his family. So I wish him nothing but good luck. Hopefully, he can, if he doesn't get a restart there, maybe someplace else. But he certainly gets deserves another try. I totally agree. And we know that Neville has sort of carved his own, uh, second tryout as Pac now, uh, this is a next level athlete to say the least. And it feels like WWE was hesitant to run with him. And then they try and it just feels like it never really gets the momentum he was hoping for. What do you think uh, Pac is going to do now that he's outside of WWE? I can tell you what he's going to do. He's a castle hopping gargoyle that's going to chew some people's ass off. That kid is mean, nasty, ugly, great body, great athlete, vicious. You know, you got to watch some of those matches he's been involved in with AEW because it gives him the opportunity to put his high spots where they go but to rip your head off before he does that. And, and that's who he is. And he's a, he's a pro and he puts, you know, he puts the spots where they go. And, and he's one of those guys that does incredible stuff, but that's not all he does because he can Matt wrestle. He can stretch you. He can beat you up. He can kick your head off. The future is very, very bright for Pac. 
Let's get to our next match. It's the Elimination Chamber match. Ryback is going to pick up the win over Sheamus, Dolph Ziggler, King Barrett, R-Truth, and Mark Henry to win the now vacant Intercontinental title. It takes 25 minutes and 10 seconds to do so. Daniel Bryan is at ringside to present the belt to the winner. Um, at the end here, we see Ryback and Sheamus go five minutes, including some white noise by Sheamus on the metal outside and a forward slam on Sheamus to the outside. He tries the bro kick Ryback catches him, power bombs him from the outside into the ring. Ryback then pins Sheamus with the shell shock. Meltzer would write Brian, who is good friends with Ryback presented him with the belt Ryback twice power bomb Brian out of respect. Both times you can make of this what you will, but the cameras quickly switch shots. Ryback says that Brian was an inspiration to him and everyone. And Brian led yes champs for him two and a half stars. Um, this is unfortunate that Daniel Bryan has the stop and start after having the big WrestleMania moment and winning the intercontinental title. He has to give it up again, but I guess the uh, silver lining is he does get to have a, a moment with his, his real life pal Ryback, a lot of talent in this chamber. Uh, it feels like uh, Mark Henry is maybe from the, the prior generation, but a lot of younger talent here and our truth, Lord knows he's just timeless, but Seamus, Dolph Ziggler, King Barrett, Ryback. This feels like a group of guys that individually you thought, man, they're going to be the WrestleMania main event. And for whatever reason, maybe Vince didn't see him there. He get, kept them in that sort of um, a, a minus glass ceiling territory. Ryback was the guy who helped pump up pay-per-view buys in his feud with uh, CM Punk. And of course, Dolph Ziggler had maybe one of the biggest pops in WWE history after that WrestleMania, where he cashed in and beat Del Rio to win the world title and King Barrett, of course, with the whole Nexus thing. And then the, I'm afraid I've got some bad news and Seamus was a champ almost from day one. And now it just feels like we're just sort of, as we said, at the top of the show, throwing all these guys in a match here, like, Hey, we don't really have a story, but, uh, go figure it out. What'd you think of the match? And, and what can you tell me about some of these performers we haven't talked about in the past? Well, truth is always going to give you that entertainment factor, you know, and, uh, Mark Henry, <laughs> Mark Henry is a beast. I would suggest right now, wherever he's sitting on his couch or whatever he's doing, he could probably walk over, pick up the refrigerator and walk out on the, the back porch and just set it down and start fumbling through it for whatever he wants. He's one of the most strong God almighty guys I've ever seen. I mean, just ridiculous strength. And, uh, you know, he had, uh, he had a lot of notoriety and he, he still does, you know, for being that strong man and being that beast that he is. And, you know, if you look at, um, Seamus, Seamus was built from day one. He was always pushed and he's a steamroller. You know, he makes everything credible and and uh, believable. And Dolph Ziegler is, which I've said before, and I'm a fan of Dolph's, simply because he makes everybody's offense bigger than it really is. Yeah. You want to get over? Get six minutes or eight minutes with Dolph Ziegler and let him know that Dolph, can we do something special for this guy tonight? He'll figure it out, and when it's over, you'll go, holy shit, is that guy good? Right. When all, when all along, it's holy shit, Dolph's that good. Right. You know, Wade Barrett, 
great talker, great size. When he was ahead of the Nexus, that thing had legs. It got cut off way too soon. But again, very physical, very good worker. So you had a bunch of really good guys, and this was the time that Ryback was starting to get over. And, uh, you know, I think through the grapevine I heard some pretty damn good merch sales. And if you just look at him, I don't know what there is to not go with. You know, he could get around. He wasn't muscle-bound. He wasn't one of these guys that worked like a guy that you couldn't knock down. He could work strong when he needed to work strong, but he could also take some bumps when it was time. So you had a nice combination of guys. The problem is, is it was just a hodgepodge of guys with really no angle. They were just there to fill a match. So the spotlight was on the match, but you couldn't say, okay, I can't wait for so-and-so to come out of the pod so he can cream so-and-so because of what happened the last three weeks. You didn't have any of that going on. You were just selling the brutality of the match and what the prize was at the end of the match. There was no stories being tossed around, and that's never a good thing. Famously, some of these guys are not involved in wrestling anymore. I think Mark Henry's officially retired. I think King Barrett is still trying his hand at some acting. I think he's doing some commentary with the NWA, but it doesn't feel like he really wants to do wrestling full-time. I could be wrong on that. And Ryback has been on uh, a journey to uh, sort of reinvent himself. He, uh, when he finally hangs it up with WWE, he does some rare independent stuff and then got pretty serious on, Hey, I want to press the reset button on my body. And if you follow him on social media, you've seen sort of the journey he's going through and he's teasing that the next phase of his recovery is to get back into a wrestling ring. He's going to get a ring and prepare for the comeback. Uh, what do you think is going to be the, uh, the limit for Ryback when he does decide he wants to get back into wrestling? Uh, who knows? Ultimately, you know, whose decision that will be Ryback's nope. The audience. Ryback will get in shape because he's never not been in shape. Right. Yeah. He's always Just, in shape. You know, I've never seen him that he didn't look like a million dollars all the way back to tough enough. Right. So it's not, not a question of getting in shape. Now that's different from being in ring shape. And the only way to do that is to get in the ring and wrestle. You can do all the cardio you want. You can do all the cross training you want, but the only way to get in shape to wrestle is to get in the ring and wrestle. And I mean, 20, 30, 40 minutes. And because it's a combination of so many things that we do. And, you know, he's remembered. I know that he's kept his name out there. You know, it might be one of those faces that appears and you go, Hey, I remember that dude. Hope he does well. And I do I hope he does well because you can never have enough star power in this industry or in, in any one company. So if he's going to give it a try, good luck to him. Yeah. I'm looking forward to what he does next. I do think he uh, moved the needle a little bit for WWE and, uh, I, I understand why maybe he wasn't best in that system because Ryback has his own opinions. I mean, he definitely reads a lot of, uh, self-help and self-motivation and I mean, the, the book that they tried to tease a little bit, almost tongue in cheek on TV, the secret. I mean, that really is his sort of power of uh, positive thinking attitude. And I don't think he has put his, put himself in a spot where he quote unquote has to wrestle. Uh, he's been smart with his money and started some other nutritional things that are, that are paying the bills. So he doesn't have to do it. 
So I feel like if, and when he comes back, it's going to be on his terms. And that's probably going to mean he's involved in some good stuff. If I had to guess. Well, and in the meantime, he's living in Vegas and that probably don't suck. <laughs> well, it might right <laughs> now, but yeah, soon enough, it will not suck again. Let's get to our main event. It's for the WWE title. It's Dean Ambrose, uh, beating Seth Rollins by DQ. So Rollins is going to retain the title. They get 21 minutes and 52 seconds. Meltzer would say overall, a very good match with lots of near falls. Uh, of course, Mercury and Noble are out here. Kane's involved. Uh, so there's lots of interference, which is typical, uh, in this era. Uh, here's the write-up from the observer for the finish though. Ambrose went to the top rope to deliver the standing elbow on Rollins, but Rollins threw referee John Cone into the path and Ambrose laid out Cone. Rollins then went for the pedigree, but Ambrose back dropped out of it and hit dirty deeds. So a second ref runs to the ring and counts the pin. Ambrose is announced as the winner and new champion and celebrates for about a minute. Cone is then revived and tells the second referee of his ruling prior to all of this was a DQ on Rollins for pulling him into Ambrose. So the decision has changed to a DQ, meaning Rollins now retains the title. After the match, Rollins, Kane, Mercury, and Noble all attack Ambrose. Of course, Roman Reigns comes out for the save, nailing Rollins with a Superman punch and then spearing Kane. Reigns gives a Superman punch to both Mercury and Noble while Anderson backdrops uh, Rollins over the top rope and uh, leaves with the belt. Nah, this uh, says Anderson, but I'm sure they mean Ambrose here. This gets four stars, but it is criticized on the top of the observer as being the return of the dusty finish. what do you think of the execution of the quote unquote dusty finish here? Well, what makes you believe that it wasn't me that came down and read, ran away with the title? <laughs> maybe it's not a misprint. Maybe it's not. Maybe, maybe I, maybe I'll forget that piece. My apologies. <laughs> That'd be the only way I'd get close to the championship, that's for sure. But that's okay. Um, you know, Dusty Finish has, has been said in the beginning it was held with esteem, and it meant it was creative, and it was something different. And a lot of times it got a lot of heat, which Dusty was smart enough to know for him to be able to draw money, he had to put heat on guys. Um and then it started to be looked down on people that maybe didn't have the right to look down on it because when the dusty finishes were going down, Jim Crockett was kicking ass. Right. So maybe that's some of the animosity you have there. I'll throw one at you. Um, other than having a flat finish like a DQ, because Ambrose is morphed into this John Moxley character, which he always was to begin with. His deal is just all over the place and overcoming adversity. What if he would have overcame all that adversity and caught a quick one on Seth and got out of there as the champion? Right. Now you got a new TV show the next day. Um, I always believe when you pay your money for a pay-per-view, especially in your main events and feature matches, you deserve to get a finish. It wouldn't have hurt Seth Rollins. Seth Rollins is a big star and a tremendous performer and well-respected and wouldn't have hurt him in the least. But to have Ambrose overcome all that adversity of J&J and Kane and all those guys, it would have just moved him up another peg in the people's eyes and been a different way to go. 
Yeah. It's weird that, that it doesn't happen here because it certainly feels like it could have, and the fans were into it. Meltzer at the top of the newsletter this week would say it's funny because it got the name talking about the dusty finish, not because dusty invented it, but because it was around a long time before that. Vergania did offshoots with it with heel champions, but Rhodes overdid the finish to the point it led to killing attendance in a number of formerly strong cities like St. Louis, Greensboro, and Charlotte during the destruction of Jim Crockett promotions. It's not a bad finish as long as you do it every few years. Overall, though, I got to say, I dug this show. This was fun for us to go back and revisit, but even at the time, I enjoyed it, and so did the readers of the Wrestling Observer. Uh, they gave it 68.1% thumbs up, uh, um, 8.5% thumbs down and 23.4% thumbs in the middle. What say you Arn? thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs in the middle. Yeah. And I was glad to see a lot of guys get a chance that normally didn't get a chance under that spotlight to be featured, you know, and I thought they all worked hard and, and the work rate was good. The only thing that was missing was it just kind of got jammed in there in a couple of week period and you didn't really have enough story to make each and every match matter, which is what pay-per-views used to be spaced out enough that you could tell those stories and each match had a story and it meant something, but that's not what's going on at this point in time in the universe. So I thought it was pretty good show. I did too. I thought it was a pretty good show. Let's get to Twitter. We asked uh, our listeners here if they had a question for you. If you'd like to ask a question for next week's show or any show, follow us on Twitter at the Arn Show and uh, just keep an eye out for those tweets and drop your question below and we'll get to them. Arn, let's do a few here. Mike wants to know what was a more brutal structure, the Elimination Chamber or the Old War Games? I didn't give a chance to work in the elimination chamber. I did in the war games. Uh, I would say though, just walking around in there and watching talent and listening to talent, probably the more brutal and the more unforgiving was probably elimination chamber. Yeah. I don't know how you can even debate that, especially when you consider the floor. I mean, that's, that's just rough stuff, man. Uh, Rajiv wants to know, he says, John Cena has often been criticized for holding newer performers down. Do you think Kevin Owens beating here was beating him here like this was to silence those critics? If not, what's the reason to have KO beat John here and then lose two pay-per-view matches in a row to him at the following two pay-per-views? I think a lot of people were sort of asking that, like, why is John no longer going for the world title? Now he's going for the U S title and. He's letting the new guy on the block beat him on pay-per-view multiple times. Is this John transitioning to outside the ring or is there more to it? Well, maybe that he knew his career was going to take a, a different turn and maybe that would quell some of the detractors, you know, uh, that, that, you know, a lot of adults think, think John, you know, because he is the guy that does the right thing and says the right thing and the kids love him and all that, you know, that's immediately going to chap a few adults ass, but, uh, maybe he thought that would, you know, get rid of some of the detractors because he knew he was going to disappear for a while and do some acting anyway. But I agree. I agree with the, the, the fans that said he shouldn't have never lost the next two matches. Right. Kevin Owens. It should have been you know, first class steamroll straight ahead. Let's talk about, uh, 
the three colognes here. Kurt wants to know what does Arn think caused all three colognes, Carlito, then Epico and Primo from receiving any sort of sustained top success in the company. Was it their ties to Puerto Rico or something else? No, I just, I don't think it had anything to do with that. I just, you know, Carlito got a nice shove there for a while. Uh, and the other guys were a very good team. They re- they really were. Um, Primo and Epico. I, I, I don't know why, you know, other than the fact that they were just good workers, but didn't have this incredible muscle bound look or, you know, these monsters that they were looking for. And, you know, who knows? We got a lot of questions about Ryback here. I'm going to hit you with two of them and then we'll wrap things up. Uh, Rajiv wants to know, in your opinion, what makes a good intercontinental champion? And do you think Ryback checked those boxes? I think the insinuation here is for a lot of years, way back when this was sort of positioned as the quote unquote workers belt for guys like Bret Hart and Mr. Perfect and Ricky Steamboat and Randy Savage and Ryback has a more heavyweight style look, but I don't think you could say necessarily that he had maybe the lumbering style of a Hulk Hogan. Certainly there's some power moves, but much more agile performer. But I think that's the insinuation that Rajiv is going for. Do you think there needs to be a certain style intercontinental champion? No, not really. Uh, and, and I always had the opinion and maybe I was wrong. Who knows? But I looked at those guys, the Rick Roods and the Mr. Perfects and, you know, the steamboats and all these guys that were there in a continental champion. I looked at them as being the next WWF champion, right? That was, that was what I was looking at. They're getting ready to move these guys up and they took care of the intercontinental champion. When you were running two towns a night, the intercontinental champion would headline one show and the WWF champion would headline the other. So in essence, you were, they were two main event guys and, uh, at a very high level, the intercontinental champion was just maybe one pay per view away from the next step up. Last one about Ryback. I don't know why Ryback has so many haters. Joshua wants to know, do you think Ryback got a bigger push just because of his size and body than other people with his skill set would have received? I don't know about this question, Arn. I, I guess the insinuation here is, do you think it's uh, quote unquote unfair when a guy with a better look gets a bigger push? Was it unfair to push the ultimate warrior? It was based on his physique. Wasn't his work rate. Wasn't his promo ability. It was based on his body. Ryback's a lot better worker than Warrior was. Of course. And he could go out and I, you know, I had one of his matches at at WrestleMania. I think it was on the the pre-show with Kalisto. And they had about 15 minutes. And you know what? There's a huge size disparity there. And Ryback went out and had a match with the kid, and it made sense, and it was entertaining. Um, I don't. I think Ryback got the look and got the first consideration because of his body, but then guys saw that he could move and he could do some stuff and he could get around that ring. And uh, I do think to his downfall, when you have an opinion – and you believe in yourself, that's great as long as the guy sitting at the in the big chair believes in you too. But if you have 
a belief in yourself and you have an opinion about yourself and it is contrary to what is being thrown at you from creative, that's not received very well. And that might have been the ditch that he fell in, which was his demise. Well, that's going to be the demise of this week's podcast. Next week, we'll be back with hashtag ask anything. We'll be back your way on the 16th with the fatal four way from 2010. And then we'll round out the month of June with money in the bank 2015. We should mention you can get this show and all of these shows early and ad free by joining us over at adfreeshows.com. Uh, we've done a lot of really fun bonus stuff over at adfreeshows.com. Arn was in the room when Paul Orndorff and Vader had their dust up. So you get a firsthand account of that. Plus you get to watch wrestling with me and Arn. We watched Arn and Tully win the tag titles when Barry Windham would turn on his partner, Lex Luger and join the four horsemen. And then the midnight Redder would catch a beat down for his troubles. And then most recently we watched Arn in his only NWA world title shot against Barry Windham at Slambury 93 and coming up later this month. I can't believe this is real. I'm going to make Arn watch himself lose the television title to renegade Arn, how would you describe that experience? Like sticking my head in a window fan to see what's on the other side. Join us at adfreeshows.com. Give us a follow on Twitter at the Arn Show. I am at Hey Hey, it's Conrad, and we are out of time. We'll see you next week right here on Arn. All right, guys, thanks for listening to Arn. We greatly appreciate your support. And as a reminder, you can get all these shows early and ad free over at adfreeshows.com. And you've got to join us just to watch wrestling with Arn. To go back and watch him winning the tag titles and then challenge for the NWA world title. We're great fun. And uh, next up, as you heard, want to make him watch the Renegade match where he dropped his most coveted television title to him. It's a lot of fun over at adfreeshows.com. You can also get the brand new episode where Bruce Pritchard and I discussed the very first In Your House from 1995, where the company actually gave away a house. We also watched a uh, an old Saturday night's main event from 1990 with a tremendous match between the Hart Foundation and the Rockers. Of course, Demolition was there to watch on. Hulk Hogan was working with Mr. Perfect. The Ultimate Warrior was defending his brand new world championship against Haku. So many great things happening on that old show from 1990. You don't want to miss it. It's all over at adfreeshows.com. And that's also where you can watch wrestling with Jim Ross. We watched a great match from 1984 in Mid-South, part of Bill Watts promotion when the Midnight Express took on the Rock and Roll Express. And perhaps our most requested topic, the plane ride from hell. Well, Jim tells it in great detail. And I've got lots of follow-up questions. I think they even got under his skin a little bit over at adfreeshows.com. Tony Schiavone and I did a watch along for the first episode of Tiger King, which feels like a fever dream and is almost as surreal as our most recent bonus piece of action, where we watched the stars of the NWA play in a charity basketball game against Charlotte police department in 1988. It is a lot of fun and you don't want to miss it. You can also get all the current shows that we're doing this week, including tomorrow's what happened when where we watch the impact debut on Fox sports net. And of course, grilling JR, it's all about stone cold walking out and you don't want to miss ECW's one night stand. All of those shows are going to show up early and ad free over at adfreeshows.com. In fact, we've already got next week's Arn Anderson for a hashtag ask Arn anything. I'm telling you, we're overloading you with this content. 
and some really fun experiences. Uh, certain levels will get autographed merchandise in the mail, some special commemorative memorabilia here and there. But the big to do is a big get together. We're going to do in Huntsville. Arn will be here. Eric will be here. JR is going to do a run in. Tony's going to scoot over. It's going to be a lot of fun to spend the weekend with these guys and have some fun, drink some beer and watch old wrestling. You don't want to miss it. We're trying to create a little community over there. It's all happening at adfreeshows.com. There's been fun stuff. You know, Eric's doing zoom party calls and, uh, we've even had some fun little skits with Tony Schiavone and Lois. Maybe the, my favorite new thing we've done is on the road again. We mounted a couple of dashboard cams and we're teasing and dropping out new episodes every week with Jim Ross and Tony Schiavone as they make their way to these shows in Jacksonville. It's a lot of fun. See what all the fuss is about. It starts at just nine bucks. It's adfreeshows.com. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.